Welcome to the Made It in Music podcast, special edition featuring Carter Hammond and X O'Connor. We're so glad to be here with you. Seth couldn't make it, uh, but we're going to have a lot of fun today. We're going to talk about production. Production. My goodness. And it's, more production. It's a mystical field. We might throw in some mixing and yeah. hey a little maybe recording who knows yes. we'll talk about vocals we'll talk about a lot of stuff people have had questions and we're here to answer their questions cuz production is kind of a like i don't know it's a mystical art to some people is it but to us it's kind of like we're fortunate to do it every day so it's i don't know that we know everything but we've had experiences both good and oh now you're just being bad. humble <laughs> no not let me say something about this man right here I had a question uh, come in from uh, which pr uh, Adam Bright asked, "What producer most inspires me?" And it's it's UX. Are you serious? Yeah. Come on. <laughs> That's the only question I got <laughs> because everybody else wants to hear from you, dude. I don't know about that, but I'm flattered yeah. that I'm the I'm the guy inspiring yeah. you. Are you serious? Right? Yes, yes. Um, and I come from a long line of producers, uh, and you know. It's Music the, royalty, some would argue. I didn't say it like that. I, you know, I yeah. said it like that. But uh, and just being around it, you just know high quality talent when when it's nearby. And well, so, yeah. Dude, I appreciate that, man. That means a lot. Well, we're having a moment. I love it. As you can tell, there is no script to this, <laughs> and uh, very well um, uh, may not know exactly where this is headed. But one of the things that we did identify was that many of you have fantastic questions about production and maybe uh, producer manager. So yeah, yeah. let's start with some introductions. Yeah. Um, tell me tell me about Carter Hammond. What was your path into music? My path into music was really uh, one of a black sheep. Okay. So my whole family is musical. They're prodigies. They played all the great music. They sang beautifully. And I just watched from a distance. Um, but the story doesn't end there. Um, I thought, hey, how am I going to fit in with my family? And really, it came down to music business. You know, while they're being creative, you know, somebody's got to be able to handle, you know, yep. the, the, the business strategy, the, the money, the finances. And so that was my applied skill uh, to keep up with, uh, with the Hammonds. And so that's amazing. Uh, so my my, you know, management and stuff like that it originated uh, working for an artist manager named Brian Coleman. He signed uh, Nickelback uh, from day one. Worked with some other uh, bands like Saliva and Oleander. Loved Saliva, by the way. Yeah, I was a huge yeah. fan of Saliva. Yeah, and I uh, got to work out there with with him in Texas, and then uh, we then signed uh, High Valley which was you know country music yep. duo yeah and uh, uh they were signed to to warner music and through high valley I got to meet seth mosley and uh, after getting to meet seth and realizing hey you know there, there could be some things that i can do to help and support him in his production obviously met you uh the producer manager role kind of fell into place naturally and I think that it really just was a culmination of growing up with my dad, who's a producer, uh, started out early Christian music, and then just kind of from there progressed. Now he's uh, doing some production for Disney. Yeah. And uh, just growing up being around production, it was just a natural fit. And uh, I love getting to, to work with Seth and you. 
and it's just uh it's it's a dream come true well dude the the dream is mutually shared because since you have come into our lives life is infinitely better <laughs> there's seriously it's you if yeah, you take <laughs> you take the things that like that are probably the most difficult aspects of the job and you you remove them from our from our <laughs> lives which is incredible like you you know it's it's a different type of creativity to be able to handle like the insane schedules the insane deadlines like someone's just like oh by the way we forgot to tell everyone even though we've been working on this song for three months uh we have to turn it in on thursday sure and you are the guy that figures out how to make that work sure and like and that takes such a weight off of us sure in what we're doing every day that yeah. it's just like oh I wake up every morning assured that like today's gonna be fine. Yeah, because Carter's Carter's got my back, oh. and that that's the best feeling in the world. I have to yeah. tell you, that genuinely makes me makes me feel good, man. Thank well, you for saying that. It, it, it's the honest truth, my friend. One of the things that producers oftentimes fall into is they they get into the uh, the whirlwind or the black hole of work, and they forget about personal life. Yep. You know. It's such an important thing, and it benefits your work in the long run if you're able to balance um, both your personal life, whether you got family or friends, and your work life. Yeah. You know, I think that one of the things that I noticed about Seth and 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 you is that you guys are just have the ability. Y'all are superhuman. That you y'all can just go, 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 go. Um, but I I consider it part of my job to kind of help you guys parse out, you know, what projects to say yes to, um, how much time to allocate, you know, and, and I want to see you guys thrive, not just in the workspace, but also the personal space. Yeah. So anyways, um, maybe you can tell, uh, our audience about your, uh, up, your not upbringing, sorry, <coughs> background in music, how yeah. you got to do what, uh, what you're doing today. Yeah. It's been kind of a crazy journey, but it's, mm -hmm. you know, such as life. This is my 20th year in Nashville being a professional music maker, which is really honestly crazy to think about, other than working at an Outback Steakhouse from like yeah. the age of 14. Um, this is the only other thing I've done, and that's like, that's pretty crazy. Like when I think about it, like that's, mm -hmm. not a lot of people are, you know, are fortunate enough to have done that. And so mm -hmm. that's, you know, something that I always kind of like reflect on and just like, you know, on the days that are harder, it's like, could be, could be way way worse hmm. you know so it my my path was very interesting i was um i was a swimmer for a long time and my identity was really tied up in swimming like it, i always played music and funny enough like at the swim meets there's a lot of downtime and me and some buddies we would bring guitars and like rock every pearl jam song we knew <laughs> while we were waiting for our events and that was a nice. blast and then the like a lot of my friends, they were multiple years older than I were, and they was, and they were all going off to college. And swimming suddenly became not so awesome when your friends were gone, yeah. And you were missing like <clears throat> that musical connection. And yeah, once they kind of left, I found myself like starting bands with people that I worked with, mm -hmm. and it was just this common thread through everything I was doing. Like at first, I was like, oh yeah, the the water is my thing. I like uh, funny enough, we were just talking about this earlier, but I like <laughs> marine biology seemed like it was going to be like the, my path through life. I already had scholarship offers mm -hmm. to like Virginia Tech and uh, and uh, University of Michigan just for like different things for well for swimming, but to study different things. Uh -huh. And it, I just ended up like my mom had a cousin who went to a place in Florida called Full Sail, and she was like, you should check this out. Mm -hmm. And I checked it out, and Full Sail is one of those places that like. If you go and just visit it, you're going to go there yeah. because it is 
like especially if you're into music or mm. now they do everything they do video games web design graphic design film they i mean they do so many different things mm. but at the time it was just it was primarily music they did uh film as well and and some game design but you go there and it's like oh my god i have to go to this place this is the coolest thing in the world like i, I was there and like madonna was renting one of their rooms to like oh. you know cut stuff and it's like this is are you serious okay so 18 years old graduated <laughs> graduated from high school mm-hmm. drove myself down to full sale did the 14 months for people that don't know full sales a uh it's a tech school and you do four years of education in about 14 months so the mm. school runs 24 hours a day wow. you on average had about 16 hours of class every day <laughs> um yeah it was it was insane yeah. you had two weeks off during that whole time you had a week in the winter a week in the summer mm-hmm. graduated and being a child of the 90s Seattle was the place that I wanted to go. That's right. And so I, right before I graduated from Full Sail, my dad flew up with me to to Seattle, and uh-huh. I interviewed at some studios, and it was a no-go. A lot of them were like, hey, come intern. It'd be awesome. Mm-hmm. But music here is kind of done. Wow. And at the time, Seattle was the third most expensive city in the U.S., and I really... I really wanted to like not have to work while I interned. I'd saved up like enough money to where, depending on where I went, I'd have a few months to just like try to intern, then mm-hmm. get a paying gig. Mm-hmm. Seattle didn't work out. I was honestly pretty depressed about that, so I went back mm-hmm. to Florida and I had a guidance counselor at Full Sail, and she was like, "Just go look at some records and f- find where they were made. Mm-hmm. Just like look at a bunch of records you love, see where they made them, and then call those places." Mm-hmm. And I started doing that, and no matter like rock records country records that i loved a lot of them had this one studio in common it was a place called soundstage Mm -hmm. so it was a wednesday or sorry no it was a tuesday i called soundstage and i was like hey i would love to come intern for you and she asked me when i could come in the come and interview and i was like i'll be there tomorrow wow jumped in the car 10 hour drive from orlando up here to to nashville Mm -hmm. interview went great she's like when do you want to start wow it's like i'll start on monday if i can that's like cool all right, let's do it. So yeah. <laughs> drove back, called my dad on the way back, and I was like, I think I just took a job in Nashville. <laughs> and he's like, all right. So he flew flew down, met me in Florida. We packed up my apartment and drove up here. I had nowhere to live. Just lived in an, a hotel for a couple days. Well, wow. my dad helped me find an apartment, and then we moved me into an apartment, and then I started interning. Interned for about four months, which I fortunately didn't have to have another job doing anything else. So I was just able to focus on interning. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we were we were going 20 hours a day. <laughs> every day of the week and it was awesome mm-hmm. and then uh soundstage asked me actually to come on as staff and ironically enough we're sitting in berry hill and the studio i became staff at is like a block that way which wow. is yeah it was super crazy yeah it's crazy to be back in this neighborhood and like go to all these places i went to when i was you know like some broke kid like baja burritos uh-huh. like oh dude we've been sitting up all week let's hit baja you know we don't want the wendy's dollar menu for today you know we knew what a buck nine could get us oh, yeah. for sure you know but um so i was at I was at Soundstage for a little while. That's when I met a producer named Pete Kipley. We were working on a Mercy Me record, and uh, it was he booked two weeks. It was he booked both rooms at this place. One room was a full tracking room. One was an overdub suite. Mm-hmm. He had two bands, Mercy Me and The Afters, and we were mm-hmm. one band would track, other band would be overdubbing. They would switch back and forth every day. Yeah. And on the seventh day, like they worked, the Afters worked from like four p.m. to like five in the morning. Mercy Me was like nine in the morning to like four in the afternoon five in the afternoon because they're you know they're family guys yeah the the afters they were young kids they were just like <laughs> they were ready to get it yeah so on the seventh i i didn't leave the studio at all so because there was nowhere to go i had to clean the place 
restock everything back up transfer files so so yeah seventh day kipley pulls me aside and he's like hey man don't don't be offended by this question but oh no are you homeless <laughs> and i was like no why it's like well you're wearing the same thing yeah. like you've been wearing the same thing all week <laughs> it's like oh dude no sorry i'm, I'm not homeless I, I have not been home though because mm-hmm. you guys work all day they work all night and i have to do all this other stuff goodness man and so they <laughs> yeah this is getting really long, but I'll, no, I'll wrap no, it up no. here soon. But anyway, so we did he, that day. He told the actors not to come in. They took me to dinner. We sat down, chilled, had to do another week of it. So stayed yeah. stayed at the studio for another week. Shortly after that, Pete called me and was like, "Hey, man, you want to just come be my like my personal guy?" Yeah. And I was like, "Sure, let's do it." So that's kind of when I left the commercial studio realm, yeah. and I learned so, so much from Pete. Like Pete, you know, he did. I can only imagine he did. Mm-hmm all the big early Mercy Me records. He signed the afters. He found Phil Wickham. We did Phil Wickham's first few records. Sure. And I learned so much just from like working with him. He, he's musically on another planet. Yeah. Um, and, but he's a, very, he's a very erratic guy. And one day he just came in and he's like, I had literally just bought a, like, bought a house, closed on a house like two days prior. And he yeah. came in and he's like, I'm gonna move to California. You wanna come with me? There you go. And I was Free like, spirit. this was 2008. Yeah. There was like the market had just crashed, and I was like, "I'm not. Are you what? Yeah. No, I'm not coming with you. Are you kidding me? I can't. Yeah. I'm upside down right now, bro. I need to stay here." Goodness. But he he leased me the studio space that we were mm-hmm. that we were renting, and then that started my career as kind of like an independent producer. That was me then going bars, clubs, yeah. wherever I could, meeting bands, uh-huh. you know, taking taking meetings with labels, whatever I could do to meet people start making music and then a couple years later i i Kipley moved back we did a few records together and that's kind of when i met seth he was writing with seth mm-hmm. um and then seth hired me to cut some drums with him on what turned out to be god's not dead mm-hmm. and then we kind of just hit it off we were making a jeremy camp record he was about to have um his first child and he had to kind of step away and i finished out just the last bits of the jeremy camp record and after that he was kind of like hey you want to like make this like a a team thing like mm-hmm. this seems to be working let's what do you think should we just do mm-hmm. this and i was like all right come on let's do it and so since then yeah we've been hand in hand partnered up and it, it's been awesome it working in a team is something i think very unique and it's something i think a lot of people in production often don't understand at first like mm-hmm. I, I feel like that's always one of the questions like when mm-hmm. artists are getting tours and we like meet people and everything be like so how does that how does that work like but it, it, I can understand it seeming weird to some people, but for Seth and I, I think we we have strengths where other people where each other aren't as strong. Like Seth's, yeah. Seth's Seth's an amazing producer and an amazing musician all around. But he he loves the inception and the conception and the creativity mm-hmm. of like the idea and the writing and the like. He has a real gift for bringing that stuff mm-hmm. to life. And my I feel like my gift, my strength is more on the backside of things. Of like, I'm a little more maybe part focused and sound focused and mm-hmm. ar- maybe arrangement focused and like some of the nittier grittier ideas mm-hmm. of it and then like i'm very good at i'm very good at closing things down like yeah. i'm a strong finisher so yeah that's like you know there comes a point in each process where seth kind of hands it over to me and i kind mm-hmm. of just wrap it up so that was a very long-winded no explaining of how i got into this but that's kind of where we are and hopefully touch a little bit on how our process actually works like, totally in-house as well yeah no you, you, thank you for telling us about you know kind of where you came from and how you got to where you are now and i see it with you and seth how you guys complement each other both y'all strengths and it's it's more than just a working relationship y'all have a genuine friendship yeah too. for sure i mean we i think you almost have to be this is a 
you know, obviously it's a business, but at the same time, it's like we're, or, well, right now we're often in two different spaces, but when we're working on records, we're in the same space a lot. And when you're in a situation where you're giving critical feedback to each other, you have to be able to have that, like that root of like a foundation to grow off of, or else it's just hurtful. Mm -hmm. You know, you know what I mean? Like to music is something very soulful, very like passionate. And it's like, I just poured all of myself into this. What do you think? And it's like, man, verse two sucks. Uh, kick drum sounds like crap. Like, what are you listening to? Like, this is garbage. Yeah. Like, ho hopefully we're not getting that kind of feedback, but that's the kind yeah. of thing, like, you need to be able to take that and understand that it's coming from a place of, like, love and want to, like, improve and mm -hmm. be better rather mm -hmm. than just it being something hurtful. And I think for a lot of people coming up in music, and I know this is true for me, having that thicker skin yeah. is something that's very tough. I know I struggled with, like, jealousy and imposter syndrome and mm. i still so struggle with these things sometimes but mm. it was especially when i was you know when i was younger and when you're like mm. like a lot of people are when you're in that place where like each gig is what makes your money that month like there's no like there's no safety net there's no nothing like when you're like if i lose this gig mm -hmm. i can't pay my mortgage or my mm. rent or i can't pay my car note like yeah. it just adds this level of like oh we're gonna hire so-and-so to do this and it's just like yeah. It's like, wait, what? You just feel betrayed. Oh, yeah. And it's like, you, yeah. it just takes some time to build up that skin of like, yeah. hey, it's nothing about me personally. This is music. This is what it is. Yeah, dude. You know, so Goodness. it's with Seth and I, it's great that we've got that relationship as a mm -hmm. foundation to kind of like springboard just, hey, he can throw anything at me yeah. and he knows he's going to get honest feedback and I can throw anything at him and he knows he's going to get honest feedback in return. Yeah. Yep. That's all great stuff, X. And I think that, you know, obviously the trials that you went through, you know, and developing that hard skin pays off in, in the long run. So oh, I appreciate that. Um, it def it's de every day is definitely an adventure, you know, like you never know. And you probably know this better than I do, but you never know what you're going to walk into mm -hmm. when doing production. And I think, you know, something we've we've had some attendees at boot camps and whatnot talk to us about is is that very thing of like, how do you walk into the day being ready for what you're going to face? And the answer is like, you kind of just need a confidence of just like, I think that's what time in music gets you is confidence. Mm -hmm. Like I, I don't know more than probably 90% of the other people making music, mm. but I know that like, I have something that's working for me. I've found something that kind of works and I'm confident in that. Now, am I scared to death when I go into tracking sessions? Yeah, oftentimes I'm like super nervous. Sure. Because you don't know how it's gonna go out. You're in there with a bunch of other people, all creatives, like, mm -hmm. you know, you, you don't know what's gonna happen. Yeah. So yeah, I'm nervous about that, but I at least, I've been able over the years to build a confidence in like, mm -hmm. whatever happens, I, I know some somewhat about what I'm doing. Yes. So it's yeah. gonna be okay. And I think for a lot of people, just knowing that and hearing that, I think frees a lot of people. Like, mm -hmm. it's okay to be nervous, it's okay to be scared. Just remember, you're learning. You're never going to stop learning. So don't mm -hmm. think because you don't know something that you can't do something. Like there's, there's plenty I don't know yeah. on a daily basis. Yeah. And we're making it. You yeah. Know? Definitely. Well, people have noticed uh, your skill set develop over the years, um, and I'll just brag on you too. This this latest Waves Audio endorsement. You're a Waves Audio producer now. Um, it goes to show that you know. Okay. Obviously, you're making great music. Your skill set. Uh, lends towards creating a great final product oh, in the you, studio. Buddy. And I think that one of the things that a lot of, uh, you know, the uh, 
song chasers, the um, you know folks want to know, or there's a lot of technical questions that they yeah. want to ask. So I know that we kind of went to introductions and background, but maybe we can hone things in a little bit more and get uh, slightly more technical. Let's do it. Um, and again, we're we don't have a script in front of us. Uh, we just know that there's a list of questions. So I don't know if you've had any time to take a look at that list and I've, see if there's anything. I've that looked at it a little bit. To you. Have right. you, are there anything that stands out to you? There were a few well, that I think, um, I think could be, could be interesting to go through. Sorry, I'm reading th- for those okay. of you that can't see me. I'm reading yeah. through the questions on my phone. Um, so okay, right here, Jimmy. I'm not even going to try to pronounce your last name, bro. Because oh, I'm going to, go no, I'm going to butcher it. This is going to be terrible. Okay, so Jimmy sure. M, you're going to know who you are. Um, Number one, what are your top recommended shortcuts in the DAW? I'm getting lost in all of them. That one, like, okay, knowing how to turn the grid on and off, learn that because that is one of the things that will slow you down. This this is going to sound stupid, but know how to change the record functions, like know how to change whether you're punching record, loop record, whatever. Having to go and click that stuff or find it in menus takes forever. So make sure you know those. Know how to zoom. Know the quick keys to zoom. That will that will save your life. Obviously, save, create new tracks. All just the basic stuff. You don't need to know how to do the really random, super advanced. Like, oh, this nine key combination thing does this one thing. You don't need to know that. Look, know the basics. If you don't have to search for something with your mouse, it's going to save you a ton of time. So people, a lot of people don't learn how to do save as. Like everyone knows how to do save. So many people don't know how to do save as. And as music makers, how many times are we making edits, revisions, all that stuff that's like, oh, I need a different version. If you know the quick key, and oftentimes it's just one additional key. So like in in Pro Tools, for example, like Command S is save as. Control Command, or sorry, Command S is save. Control Command S is save as. I don't have to go to the file menu and go down to save as to do that. that sa- it saves so much time over the course of a day. Because like today, for example, we're working on a Hunter Brothers song. I've done save as like 15 times already today. So just little things like that. Focus on focus on the basics. That's going to be my advice to you on that. Second part of that question was uh, songwriting template advice and starting levels. Thank you. Okay, <laughs> Jimmy, uh, shameless Waves plug right here. Spend the 29 <laughs> bucks and buy the VU meter from Waves, okay? Just buy that because if, if you need to figure out starting levels, VU meter is going to be where you're going to want to do it. As far as setting up with a songwriting template, just get your favorite, like, just start with a blank template. I'd have five tracks to record instrument inputs. Have the, Im- have the inputs already routed. Like, if you have a mic, uh, here, here's something that really works well for people that are just starting out. This is how it is in Seth's room, too. Don't bother with always resetting your stuff. Have stuff plugged in and ready to go all the time. Have one mic that's just for your vocal have one mic that's just for anything else or if you've only got the one mic then you're good to go but have that thing plugged in and have tracks in your template already routed to those things so if you have two mics have vocal tracks with the input for the vocal mic have instrument tracks with the input for the other mic or if you've just got the one then don't worry but make sure you set all the inputs initially because then it's just as easy as hitting record and you're good to go and then set up your most favorite favorite software synths like you don't need to have every synth you own but just know how you write. Do you write with piano? Then make sure you have a couple piano sounds set up, ready to go at a moment's notice. A couple of your core pad sounds. And then just have some tracks to put some drum loops on. Or if you have something like Easy Drummer, have that already set up and in. Because that that just makes things so much easier, saves you so much time. Anytime you're not creating 
a new track and importing a, a, a sound library or something, something that's just going to eat up time. Just have stuff ready to go. You know, you know how you like to write, so you're going to know what you want in there. Like mm-hmm. for Seth, he's got you know a couple piano tracks, a couple synth input things for his analog synths, and then he's got a vocal channel ready to go and a click track always ready with the click track just have the click track in there so mm-hmm. you just set the tempo and you're good to go as far as levels go use the vu meter just quick tip if you're balancing your kick drum and your bass get the kick drum hitting at minus three on the vu meter and then when you have the bass added to it they together should be hitting zero on the vu meter that will help you balance those two things which will then help you balance your entire session so pick up the vu meter it's a plugin I wish I'd bought ages ago. Awesome. So, yeah, that should help you right there. That is fantastic. Uh, management question. Taylor Riley asks, what is a day-to-day uh, uh, management schedule look like uh, for you? What does that look like for you? <laughs> I'm glad you asked, Taylor. Um, so, yeah, I mean, basically the thing I love about this is, you know, there's never a day that is ever the same. And so I think that I would get totally bored with a, you know, nine to five, get in the office, you got your cubicle, whatever, um, going. Some of the things that I I really enjoy just from a day-to-day level is just getting to meet interesting people. I mean, you've worked with artists and musicians and uh, different industry folks, and and every one of them has a great story to tell. And so, you know, you know, one one day or one week may be full of meetings um, having to do with uh, ways that we can figure out how to pull Seth and yourself in for production projects. Um, it's 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 you know. Um, it, it can it can also entail you know uh, going through our own work processes internally here mm-hmm. with production. You know what are what are some of what are some of the projects that are we're working on currently, and how do we get from A to B? Close things out, like you said. Yep. Um, but and I, I honestly love the fact that you know every day can be uh, you know invented on your own. You know. And it's very entrepreneurial in, in that standpoint. So, and also, you know, I would say this too as kind of a last last point that um, you know this is a lot more than just a business. You are you are it's a very personable yeah. uh, uh, career because you're at one point trying to figure out the business strategy for uh, your the person, the artist, or the musician that you're working for. But you're also a shoulder to cry on too, yep. you know, and uh, you know, in a lot of different industries, that's not a healthy thing. But for something like this, it fits really well. So, um, to answer the question, no one day is ever the same, and it's fast paced, um, and you just don't know what to to expect. And so, yeah. So th- you just brought something up though that I think is interesting to touch on. I think something that producers or aspiring songwriters or whatever do forget though too that it is a business yeah. and you need to know how to run a business. That's one thing I feel like I didn't know mm-hmm. when I was first coming up in this. My, like my strategy for making money was terrible. And something that you, you thrive at is the ability to like not only negotiate with people and players, but to also stay on top of like who owes what, where we are in the process of turning things in. Cause for some people who don't know, a lot of payment in music doesn't come all up front. A lot of times it's half up front, half upon completion, but the completion portion is really dependent on a lot of things. It, mm-hmm. you know, turning in not only the session, but all the stems, all the, all the alternate mixes and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, like 
so can you can you walk people through a little bit of what it takes to actually like be financially like wise in the music industry yeah. for a minute yeah sure um and we don't have to get uh, too deep into this but um golly yeah i mean it's, so learning to say no is going to be one of the biggest uh assets um because you know i, w- I would say this because with you and and seth there's a lot that's coming in that um you know you want to say yes to it but you have to say no in order to how it makes sense for the long term. And that can be from a financial standpoint too. Um, so like what are the things that that are worth investing your time and resources? Because time is most certainly a resource um, that will benefit you financially in the long run. Not saying that everything has to be financial because um, it's a very relational um, you know, business. But in the end, you guys have to make, make money. And so, um, I mean, I would say that you know, when you're, when you're, one of the things that we do really well, I think, is we put quarterly goals Mm -hmm. in place. And we say, okay, in order to meet these quarterly goals, in order to pay the bills, in order to, um, you know, sustain this, uh, we have to meet X amount of uh, production. um, And it has to be at a certain, you know, rate that makes sense for for the business to, to function properly. And so, you know, there are a lot of, you know, folks that we believe in, what we'll call, you know, development projects, where, you know, perhaps an artist is not signed, but we believe in them enough to want to invest in them. And, uh, and sometimes it's a risk, but you want to branch out, you want to parse out, you know, those opportunities, how many of those opportunities are you able to take uh, to where you're not just completely spending all your time helping to develop an artist versus what are those sustainable projects where there's a label involved or there's an investor involved and it makes sense to to take so i hope that answers your question Yeah, i think so i think if you can just kind of because this is something i struggled with i know for sure when i was you know first starting out how how do you like is there a polite way to get someone to pay you what you're owed because for me like it could it could be nine months 18 months Mm -hmm. waiting on like three hundred dollars and at the time like three hundred dollars could be a a a very large sum based on your needs so like for for someone just starting out do you have advice for them of like okay hey i'm working with this client a lot you know tragically this is how it is when you're first beginning like Mm -hmm. you're going to work with people who don't want to pay you or try to renegotiate with you do you have advice for those people like how do you how do you approach those situations like because money is such a tricky mm-hmm. a tricky thing yeah um well i mean it's uh, it is a tricky thing the at the level that you and seth operate there are agreements and contracts and so you can always defer to that but yeah there are always you know producers that are uh, young and they're having to be scrappy. They may not, um, a contract may actually uh, be a uh, disincentive for people to, to work with them. Um, but, I, you know, I think that just trying to, um, you know, uh, if you do a great job and you're able to stay, you know, with the person who's paying you to do it and um you know stay on top of them you know trying to uh being able to to pay you great i think that for for you know folks that hire people but don't pay them they won't last long Mm -hmm. in in the industry sadly you're not going to 
you know, it may it may hurt in the short term. It may hurt the people that they're not paying. Um, but you know, this music industry is such a small industry that where I think that if you find people are hiring people but not paying them, that's not a uh, that's not a formula for longevity. So I feel for the people that are that are uh, you know not getting paid on projects that um, that that come in. It's also a matter of trying to do the best you can to find out if the person who's hired you is someone who's trustworthy. Golly, that's a that's a that can sound like wishful thinking, you know. Yeah. But you know, there obviously you you get references, you find out who they've worked for in the past to see if they've paid them. Um, but uh, it is a little bit wild, wild west, you know, as you're developing. Yeah. But once you hit a certain level where people notice the work that you're doing and you're able to have a producer contract and have them sign before any work is done, um, then that's going to protect you uh, as far as finances are concerned. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and just to kind of piggyback on that, because that's like things are ringing bells in my head now of other conversations I've had with people. and. I know a, a lot of people on some of the Song Chasers calls I've been a part of, at some of the boot camps that we've done, a lot of aspiring producers that are just starting out want to know how they assess their value. You know what I mean? Like how they determine what they should be charging. Are they charging enough? Are they charging not enough? How, yeah. As someone who works with producers at all levels, like. Do you have any advice to people like that that are like, okay, how do where do I place myself? Like, I'm doing stuff for free right now, or mm. I'm doing a lot of work for like a hundred bucks. Like, how do I make that step to like, yeah, the next the next point? Do you have any you have any guidance or advice there? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it's, it's uh, when you're first starting, then it's going to be an investment endeavor for sure. You are putting in time and resources and put in building out a resume. It may not look like much. Um, but, you know, I would say that a price is whatever someone's willing to pay um, in order for your service. If, they, if they're looking for somebody to produce something and they can find, you know, say your name is Alex, and then, but they can get something much better uh, with, uh, with Joe, you know, because Joe is at a lower price, then maybe you're trying to charge something higher. Um, but as, as, you know, I always tell you and Seth, you know, good work begets more work. Mm. Um, when you produce high quality music and uh, people start to say, I want them to mm. produce my music or that person to produce my music, then, and, and, the, and the, the, the demand is higher, then that's when you can start to raise your, your price and your, your rates and justify it, you know? So, um, but there's always, there's always a, a, a price or a threshold that's out there that, that, people or record labels are willing to pay mm -hmm. and so as you get better as you hone in on your craft you can start to ask for for more so that's a really good question let's uh, let's start to get uh, let's go back to uh, the, the technical japanese which i will never <laughs> understand but it's so fascinating it's far more fascinating i'd say um, to a lot of our folks so do you have another question that there's uh, a that few i can i can read off a few please, in here please um, do so amy carlock i'll pronounce this last name because i'm 91% sure I pronounced it correctly. There you go. Um, I'm not going to go with 99 because Lord knows I've pronounced very basic things very <laughs> poorly. Uh, so, Amy, I'm a novice with production. Do all your instruments need to be stereo and panned? How do you get your vocals and music to have presence in the mix? Amy, that's an awesome question. 
there's a few schools of thought on this. I am much, I'm very much of the school of thought of like, yes, I hard pan, I would say almost anything. If it's stereo, odds are it's hard, hard panned. You don't want to eat up all the room in your stereo image. And so just panning something like 30 degrees or 30% to one side or the other, it's, it's more clouding the overall image than I think giving space in the middle because that 30% is still taking up a lot of space in the middle. So in, in my, a lot of my sessions, it, obviously this is genre, you know, genre reliant, but I would say in 99% of what we're doing, stereo pairs of vocals, hard panned. Stereo guitars, hard panned. Drum overheads, hard panned. The toms, I try to make the drums sound at least realistic to where they would like appear to be played. So sometimes those are a little bit more in the middle. Piano, hard panned. Um, you want to leave that space. And that ties into your second question about giving the vocals and the instrument's presence in the mix. Having stuff not taking up space in the middle. The things that should always probably, depending again on genre, be in the middle. Kick, snare, vocal. Like those are the things. And bass, sorry. Those are the things right up the middle. So those three, those things are going to compete with each other right off the bat. So by making, making space for your vocal is all about level first and foremost you I, I feel like i always want my vocal to be sitting just above the snare but as far as like having presence and feeling it's going to be about creatively eqing your your vocals and your drums so just knowing a little bit about what parts of different things make make the sound that you're hearing so for example like in a lot of singing in male voices especially like there's a lot of a lot of body to the voice down in like the 200, 250, 300 area. In, in women's voices, it's a little bit higher, but typically kind of in like the same general area. And that's where the body of the snare is and where a lot of like just this mess of kick drum stuff is. So by just understanding those like few fundamentals and we'll have some stuff, I'm in the process of making it, that are little EQ cheat sheets to help explain this for you a little bit. But just having just a basic understanding of like what frequencies are making up all the different sounds that you're working with that will enable able you to carve out certain things so for example if your vocal needs to feel more present like you need more breath to it or something like that it's not always about enhancing the vocal or turning it up a lot of times it's more about pulling those pulling certain frequencies out of things so like if i need my vocal to stand more out front of a big dense rock mix or or like a modern country mix what I'm doing is I'm taking in the guitars, I'm starting to cut things between like 2K and 5K. On the kick drum, I'm starting to pull things out around like 4K, 3K. Same thing on the snare. I'll boost a little bit of like the top on the kick and snare to kind of like re, you know, re-energize it a little bit like 6K, 7K because that's typically where DSing is happening on the vocal. So those frequencies are getting pulled back down so i'm adding in places where i'm taking away in others and and vice versa so to answer hopefully your question the it's all about balance just using your ears but if you feel like things are fighting against each other start by removing frequencies um and by keeping things stereo panned that's going to keep a lot more room for things in the middle where your vocal your lead vocal specifically should leave so that just doing that alone should help you get a lot more presence mm -hmm. on your vocal. Do another question. Yes. Great. Let's see. There's so many. Um, Cedric Israel, I need to know more about how to use mid side and mono stereo techniques in 
modern production. Okay, I'm going to touch on this a little bit. This is a pretty hardcore question, but so for people that don't know, mid side is pretty much where you're affecting the middle and the sides of a of a source separately. Um, there's all sorts of ways to do this with mono tracks, but it gets a little more complicated. I'm going to use this in the context because I know Cedric. Um, I think he's asking. Um, mid side EQing is something that's extremely powerful, and this will tie back to Amy's question as well a little bit too. So if you have a stereo source, obviously it's taking up the whole stereo spectrum. Using a mid-side EQ, um, Waves has a few, uh, Fab Filter has a couple as well. It allows you to EQ things in the middle and on the sides differently. So for like, let's say for a piano that has a very wide frequency spectrum, you can take those frequencies that are really bassy, which take up the bass, the kick drum area, and just cut them in the middle where the kick and the bass live, like we were just talking about. And that will give them space, but it also makes your your stereo spectrum feel wider. Like the piano will now feel wider because it has a little bit to do with phase, but you're you're cutting all this information in the middle. So suddenly your your ear is attracted to the hype of those the frequencies it's missing in the middle, they're now present in the outside more, or it's more defined outside. So your ear is drawn to it and the sound feels wider. So a lot of times we use mid-side EQing for things exactly like that, like a lot of synths and stuff that are very dense that have a lot of frequencies shared with the vocal, I will mid-side EQ those to be like, okay, I'm gonna cut all this stuff that's clashing with the vocal in the middle, but I'm gonna hype it on the outside, and that immediately just brings a lot of life to the synths, but makes the vocal feel like it's still out front. It's not like just this wash of all these things just piling up in the middle. Yeah. How so, much time do we have, by the way? We have, uh, we have as much as I think we want. Yeah. Um, we'll wrap it up here in just a few I wanna though. see, yeah. Um, so let's see. Okay. Sorry, I'm reading through a few more questions because it looks like one came, oh, okay, came in a little bit, a little, little while ago. Okay. So uh, Greg is asking, how do you mix drum plugins like Easy Drummer, Logix Drummers, or other acoustic instrument sound or other acoustic drum sound plugins? They sound great, but when mixing with other instruments, they sometimes sound out of place. Greg, that's an awesome question because we actually use Easy Drummer quite a bit, especially on Seth's demos. I think for for stuff like that, they do they do sound great, and they sound great like in a bubble. Like if you just listen to them, they sound awesome. They are awesome sounding drums. But what they lack is character, hmm. and that's that's what you need to add. So a lot of times that's just reverbs. Like we've gotten it to work really well with just adding some different reverbs to it. But a lot of times it's adding something to color them, to give them life, give them some kind of something that just makes them special, that it's not just a sound that opened up. It's something that's unique to your track. A plugin I love for this is RC Color um, or RC Pro. Maybe it's called RC Pro or RC Pro Color. I forget which one it actually is, but I'll find out and I'll let you know for sure. But just search it. You'll find it. But it's like a vinyl emulation plugin that it does way more than just vinyl, but it takes things and it just gives it character and that's what that's what a lot of those plugins miss or character waves has something called retrofy which i was just using on a track and it, it was that same thing it was a drum loop that the band just didn't like they're like oh it's it's just it's not right it just feels kind of blah but you just throw that on it at you know, just it gives you a way to add some compression add some distortion add some color like it gives a real analog feel of like it's a, it's an intangible but it's like oh it, it feels different, it feels warmer, it feels thicker, like that hair of distortion makes it maybe feel more aggressive. It's all about finding something that gives it just a little of the personality that your track has. And like I said, you can do that with reverb. Like reverb's such a crucial thing. Like 
making sure your sounds sound like they're all in the same space is important to your mix making sense contextually or your production making sense contextually. So make sure if your vocal's going to a reverb that you've got those drums going to some of that reverb as well because you're trying to make them feel like they're in the same spot. So just, you know, make sure it's getting a little bit of that love, but find something that just gives it character, whether it's Decapitator or Devil Lock or RC Pro uh, or RC Color, sorry, or Retrofy, any of those things. Just anything to give it a little bit of character, like any kind of saturation will definitely help. Um, yeah, do you have any questions you wanted to get to? I'll tell you, X, full disclosure. Ask, uh, disclose. Well, I was just gonna tell you, all these are exactly what you're explaining right now. <laughs> so I don't want to, uh, I, I wanna keep with what the demand is, okay. because everything that you're, you're answering, are, these are very technical well, questions. Read one out there and let's see what we come out all with. All right, that sounds good. Uh, let's see, uh, Jimmy, you, you answered that, sorry. Um, here we go. Let's not do that one. <laughs> Hang on one sec. Okay, gotcha, cool. I think we've answered a, a good few of them, but I think there are a few we haven't hit. Which one have we not? <laughs> haven't done that one. Okay, <clears throat> Kim A. Uh, my question is regarding uh, the use of GarageBand for demos. I recorded a song for Feedback Fridays, but I had to scroll the green bar over to the left on the keys and over the right on the vocals. You tracking? A little um, bit. Okay. Final result was the keys volume was too low. If I didn't do this, the volume on the vocals would be too low. I had made another recording of the same song and managed to get the levels correct on both. The slide bar is not numbered and therefore is difficult to find that exact level. <laughs> I missed a comma there. That's all right. I, I think I'm tracking with you, but I feel like you here, know keep, what, keep going, going and keep going and then, then I'll. I have to adjust it before I hit the save, hit save the first time, because if I don't, it has an auto setting for the volumes which is always too low to hear my vocals. How can I fix this? this? I assume I need a second piece of equipment, like a mixer, maybe. Please help. Okay, I don't think you need a second piece of equipment. I think you can do it all from within there. Um, but this, this is a very complicated question. There's lots of ins and outs and what have you uh, to it. So I, I would say this, if you're listening to this, Oh. Hit hit me like hit me up on Song Chasers directly, and if you can, like take a screenshot or like a screen recording or something to just show me yeah. what you just just to give me like an actual vision. Like I, I feel like I need to see this, Kim. So if you can, yeah, Kim, if you can take a screenshot or some kind of video recording of it, just send it to me, send me a link, like a Dropbox link on Song Chasers or something. I will contact you directly, and we'll we'll get this sorted out for you because I know you can do what you want to do with that. Um, so it's just a matter of like being able to actually sit down and talk you through it. I actually love this question from Jackie Oberlander. I went for it. You did. I love that about you. Success. Uh, what do vocal stacks look like in rock and folk music? I know in pop there's a main vocal and two to three stacked on top, uh, left, right, and middle, and maybe with a different timber, mm. but not sure if it's the same across all genres. Uh, it's not always the same across all genres. It can be different... It can be different just depending on the song too and what the song needs. But I would say that um, in rock, 
on a lot of the skillet stuff, it's pretty heavily vocally stacked. Mm-hmm. I mean, on a lot of the bigger songs that we've done, it's normally a lead straight up the middle. John does doubles. Oftentimes he'll do doubles that are like him singing, and then he'll do doubles that are like him really singing, like yeah. very aggressive, very loud. Uh, and then often uh, Jen, who's the drummer, she'll do harmony, which is always a pair. And then oftentimes she might even double the melody as well. There's often low octaves. I mean, there's normally a lot of st- a lot of stacks in the rock vocals. Depending on the song, whispers can often be a great thing. In folk, it's a little bit different. I mean, it really is genre specific. Like you don't think of like a like a, you know like a Bob Dylan track, and it's like oh, it's wall of vocals, man. You know, <laughs> it's like it's like pentatonics in there. No, you know, it's like it's a little more stripped back. I think in folk you're fine. Just vocal, you know, a pair of vocals. If you got a harmony, I think just the song gives you context. So I would say just go lean into what the song is asking for. I mean, if you have a huge rock wall of guitars and everything, one vocal is going to feel puny against that. Mm-hmm. Stack it up. If you've got yourself an acoustic and a piano, you probably don't want a huge stack of, unless the stack of vocals is the vibe, you probably just want to go really minimalist but my advice let the genre let let the genre let the song dictate what you're doing that's so cool i'm learning a ton right now by the way (laughs) so thank you for for sharing uh doug mcfarland uh said that he heard a comment about a producer that said that the producer's productions were always lush that was uh it was in quotes okay so i imagined him saying it like that I i liked it i agree here's your question how do you create lush with a standard band mix. How do you create lush with a standard band mix? When I think of the word lush, I think of very warm. I often think of like not very long reverb, but very reverb, like roomy mm-hmm. and just feeling like, I don't know, it feels rich and elegant. And to me, that's always a lot more analog sounding. So not super hyped, yeah. not super present. It's much more like what Jay Joyce would do. Yeah. Or, you know, like Miranda Lambert records or Brothers Osborne records, very rich and and dense. So to achieve that, I would say don't be afraid of taking high frequency information out of your vocals. Cut some 5K out of there. Don't be afraid of letting your guitars have a lot of 300 hertz. Have things that make it feel almost boomy. Like those are often everyone's like, how do I get boomy out of my mix? Those are the things you almost need to embrace a little bit when you're going for the lush vibe. Hmm. And don't be afraid of space. We worked we worked with a guy who did a bunch of Jay Joyce records, and he said that Jay Joyce always has a huge room sound buried in the back of all of his tracks, where everything's going to it. It's super long reverb, and he just rides it in there to where you can like just barely feel that everything is just swimming in this huge pool of room sound, mm-hmm. and that's part of his vibe. So don't be afraid of reverb. Add a ton and just pull it back until it's kind of creating that effect for you. Mm-hmm. But for lush stuff, yeah, I'd say anything that can add character to it. So like Decapitator, Devil Lock, all that stuff I was talking about before, RC Color Pro, those will all help you get to that lush sound. That's fantastic. Uh, I don't know what our timeline is, uh, but I thought that it would be great to end with a word of encouragement. A word of encouragement? Yes, to oh, our audience. Do you want to you want to do one and then I'll do one? Yes. Why don't you go first? You want me to go first? Well, I could if you want. Either way. Okay. I've been talking a lot. I'll I'll, I'll give you a break. (laughs) So if I could offer any word of encouragement, and this is really, you know, I'm not a producer. I'm not a musician. I'm not a songwriter. But I'll never forget uh, something my dad uh, said when he was working hard. He used to be a sessions drummer before he was a producer. 
he always wanted to work harder than the hardest working individual in the world. That was his goal. And so um, there's no such thing as handouts uh, in the music industry. It's always going to be the people that work the hardest at their craft, um, that pay attention to the details. That's what's going to set them apart mm -hmm. from everybody else that's trying to make it in music. Yeah. Um, and so with that, and of course, you know, he had to trust God for a lot of things and doors to be opened. And God most certainly did do that. There's an aspect to that. Um, but he, he worked as hard as he possibly could, and that helped enable those doors to, to be opened. Um, and if, if you're, if, if you, you know, let's say that there's, you know, uh, some of the, the, the songs or the music isn't up to where it needs to be, don't be discouraged. You know, use those times of failure um, in order to learn and to figure out how to, uh, uh, to refine, use those failures as a refining moment. Um, and um, I was going to give one more word of encouragement. Do it. it slipped my mind, though. Oh, really? Um, but, uh, oh, here it is. Um, so make sure that you are surrounding yourself with as many people that you look up to as far as production, songwriting, uh, music musicianship, whatever it is, um, because this is a very uh, uh, interconnected, relationship-based music industry. And um, the more people you know, you know a few people, that will give the opportunity to open up doors for to meet other people, to learn from other people. I think I love the fact that you're here, that you're paying attention to podcasts like this, so you can hear from guys like X who just they they have they have refined their process, they're experts, and um, you get to learn from them. That's a huge deal. That's going to set you apart as well. So keep up the good work. Um, I think I saw a sign in there that said dare to suck. Yeah. Um, and so do that too. And that's all I got. Yeah. You kind of, you kind of stole on mine a little bit. I was going to say, yeah, never stop learning is one, my biggest word of encouragement. Like the fact that you found this podcast or you found song chasers or whatever that already sets you in a realm of people who are serious about what they're doing, mm -hmm. wanting to learn, never stop learning. I'm on YouTube all the time figuring out how to use things or how different people do different things because this is an ever changing field where technology changes mm -hmm. every day. Don't stop, don't be afraid because you don't know something, figure it out. Like mm -hmm. never say no because you don't know how to do something. Just be like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna figure that out. Yeah. That, that's my encouragement you, because you can, you can like, you can fake your way through life. You can be scared, you can just hide, but go out, put yourself out there. Don't, don't stop learning. Don't think you know everything. And don't be afraid to learn something new because you feel like you can't learn something new or you shouldn't be learning something new. Never stop learning. That's, That's my awesome. Those are my words of encouragement to you kids. Fantastic. Well, thank you, everybody, for being with us today, for all your wonderful questions. And uh, we'll look forward to the next time we get to do this yeah. on Made, Made It, it Music, Music Podcast. Podcast. With a the at the front. I kind of got a the in there. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye.